probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome to The Thing Minute Podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me again today is... I'm Zachary T. Owen. I am a horror writer and a mega fan of cult and horror movies. And a, a carpenter enthusiast. We've shared, oh, sure, yes. shared many, many late night uh, Facebook conversations about <laughs> John Carpenter. So um, today we're talking about minute four of the thing, which starts with the uh, helicopter continuing to fly through the snowy vista and uh, ends with the infamous dog running through the snow. So first, I guess the main thing to bring up uh, is the dog. So yes. The dog plays obviously a, a very important part in the movie. He's kind of the, the impetus for all of this, unless, uh, unless you want to go back to the UFO crashing in the beginning. So skip ahead 100,000 years, and then this is how the movie begins. So I think it's a pretty interesting way to start the movie. It's a very mysterious kind of uh, in medias res kind of way to, to start, yes. which really the whole kind of first maybe half hour, 40 minutes of this movie is really like that, where you're constantly trying to figure out the mystery of what happened at this other base. And right away, too, the, the tone is really set, even though, you know, we haven't seen anything particularly horrifying. There's that feeling of dread. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, we talked a lot about the score yesterday and... Obviously, the theme is very kind of, um, well, <laughs> I was going to say it's kind of desolate. Um, that is the name of the theme, the desolation theme. So it is, but it's very kind of bleak, like we've mentioned, and just kind of creates this feeling of unease. So the fact that there's this helicopter that seems to be chasing a dog through this like very kind of empty, weird atmosphere is definitely creates kind of a unique beginning to the movie. Yeah, and I actually uh, recently I watched an interview with Carpenter. I think he was speaking at the New York uh, Film Institute hmm. and he talked about the dog and how like this dog was one of the best actors that he'd worked with. That, you know, there was an animal trainer that worked with the dog and whatever they told it to do, like it did right away and very competently. And he seemed like very amazed by the dog. And he, he talked about it too, as if, you know, it was just another actor. And he even said something like he's no longer with us, but you know, his work in the movie was great. And it was a really good experience working with him. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, there's obviously that old adage that filmmakers should never work with children or animals. And right. Uh, I believe someone asked him about that and that's uh, what brought him into discussing the dog. Uh, yeah. I mean, there, there's some, it seems like there's some confusion about which dog it is in this opening shot. It, um, yeah. the, the main one that's in the movie is a dog named Jed, who is half wolf and half, um, I don't know if it's. Yeah. Uh, that's the one he was discussing. So this might not necessarily be that dog then. Yeah. I know it's some of these shots I think, um, are a different dog that they, it's funny. They said they actually painted it to look like Jed. <laughs> wow. That's something I, I don't think I've ever noticed either. So they must have really gotten away with it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that I'd, you know, notice a different, like, you know, husky dog, but definitely Jed's got a very kind of signature look. But yeah, I, I have to wonder if it seems like these first shots, a lot of it is Jed because it it's either Jed or it's another, like, you know, super well-trained dog. Because, 
you know, all these shots, this is not like a movie made now where they would have just CGI'd either the helicopter or the dog. Like they're in the same shot. And so that means this dog is running around in the snow, like in a certain direction where there's also, you know, a whole camera crew that's somewhere else. And then there's a helicopter flying like 30 feet above that. It's, it's pretty impressive that this dog. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it would be a headache to shoot something like this. Yeah, for sure. So it's, uh, you have to wonder, I mean, I, you know, this was all the, the dog stuff was all in the script and, you know, I guess it's a credit to John Carpenter that he decided to go for it, even though obviously, you know, back then this would, this was probably a really difficult thing to shoot. I imagine, even though it seems like just kind of a simple thing at the beginning of the movie. One kind of interesting thing to note, I guess, about this part too, Todd Ramsey, who edited the movie, says that this is one of the few parts of the movie that he edited as like the dailies and stuff were coming in and John Carpenter approved it right away. He, um, there were, he, he apparently was very kind of involved in the editing process and made a lot of changes himself, but yeah. And I believe he, uh, usually is, um, he discussed that in the interview I watched with him. He said he basically likes to be present while they're editing uh, and have some control over the shaping of the film. Yeah. And I mean, a lot, I think a lot of auteurs, you know, like, like he is, um, definitely are involved with the editing because that's, obviously such an important part of the pacing and the, just the general feel of the movie, bad editing can totally destroy a really good movie. So, but yeah, this, this one, for whatever reason, he just, he really liked the way that uh, Ramsey had cut it and and left it. And I think it's actually pretty well, well cut together just the way it kind of moves you know, you see the dog close up and then you see the helicopter falling from behind and the way it's cut between those two is, is pretty well done and, and builds that kind of sense of weird dread that, um, that permeates the beginning of the movie. Yeah, and I, I also just appreciate the landscape, the vastness of it, and uh, I think that works very much with the music here. Just seeing just this big expanse of white, and it's it's kind of like um, I mentioned a void in one of the previous episodes, but it's just like this winter wasteland, and and right away, and this is something we've hit upon already, but there's just this tone set up without even having any knowledge of what really is going to happen in this movie, that it's going to be something very, very bad. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely kind of fills you with dread just from the get go without any kind of setup, but you, you really have no idea what's going on, but you, you know that something bad's going to happen, like I said. And yeah, the, the landscape definitely adds a lot to that. It's, it's a very interesting um, kind of way to, to start the movie and that you've got this huge white landscape and just these kind of, little dots of uh of you know the dog and the helicopter that kind of barely take up any space in the frame in a lot of cases um you know we don't cut up to the close-up of the helicopter until i think pretty near the end of this minute but uh and yeah that definitely goes with the score i think the score is um obviously creates a, a great kind of mood and atmosphere that really goes to the movie but also kind of literally the way that just kind of the those little you know bass synth uh that starts it is kind of just like this little dot in the middle of this sprawling kind of eerie pad and drones that, that go in it too. It kind of matches the scenery of the movie a little bit, which is kind of cool. So uh, I did have one note. This is the first place where the movie departs from the script a little bit. And this, I, I haven't finished reading the script. I'm kind of going through it as I go through the the minutes, but um, apparently I think it actually does that a lot because it sounds like when they got up on the set, they Carpenter kind of had some different ideas than what was in the script about some of the shots and, and scenes that kind of clarify what's going on a little bit. It's, he changed right, that. And I, that seems to follow his general methods. I mean, the fog, 
initially was a very different movie uh and then you know they started to make some pretty big departures so i think that might have also been because uh the test audience did not respond well to that movie initially it was just the fog was the real antagonist and we didn't have the ghost so much um but they they inserted that into the movie because people just didn't seem to get it um and and the thing is another one of those carpenter films that I think initially probably, you know, the movie was very different than what we see. And you'll be able to confirm that as you go through the script and see what's changed. Yeah. And, and from what I hear, um, it's, it's not like vastly different, but there's definitely, he definitely adds in a lot of stuff that kind of clarifies what's going on at certain times. Cause you know, this is a movie where this is one of the reasons I picked this movie to kind of do the podcast about is it's a, it's a complex movie, but it's also a movie where the timeline has been debated for like, you know, 35 years since it came out that people don't know what happens when. And that's kind of always a, up for debate. Um, as to like, it's, you know, obviously, especially who becomes the thing at what point right. and, and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's a pretty complicated movie in a lot of ways. Um, especially given that, you know, the monster, although obviously there's the great kind of gory effect scenes, the monster really is other people. So just to be able to kind of portray that and get that idea across is, is pretty complex. So I get why I would have changed stuff. The change in, in this scene is a pretty small one, but it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, in the script, you actually get uh, a little bit closer to the Norwegians flying the helicopter and they have some dialogue. Uh, I don't think it's subtitled or anything. Cause in the script, it just says the um, Norwegians argue like mad and desperate children. So I guess, you know, it might create a little bit more kind of um, drama, I guess, if that was in the movie that, you know, you know specifically that they're like hostile to this dog and they're coming after it, you know, for for that reason before you see him pull out the gun and all that. But, you know, I, I do think it works better without it as it definitely gives a little bit more of that sense of vagueness and mystery to the beginning yeah, of the movie. That's kind of what I like about it. it. um It goes at its own pace and, you know, we learn things as they happen. You know, we don't immediately know, okay, these Norwegians are after this dog and, um, it's always like a surprise to people that I introduce um, to this movie when the Norwegian starts trying to kill the dog. And right away they're kind of like, okay, well, I didn't expect that. And it kind of hooks <laughs> them in. Whereas if you would have seen two Norwegians fighting right away and they're after this dog, I think that would have been a little bit too soon of a reveal. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's, it, it definitely it's not a huge change, but I think it would change the the kind of tone of the opening right. a little bit. And I think a lot of the things that probably work about this movie are very subtle like that. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. And the, the other thing that's actually a little different here is that they um, in the script right after you see them arguing, you see the dog. Yeah, I think I can't remember if it's in this minute or the next one where you see the dog actually look back at the helicopter. But in the script, the dog looks back at the helicopter and like growls at the helicopter, which is a little bit, uh, maybe too a little on the nose, I think. Where right, you know, those are the exact words that I was thinking. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it reminds me of um, I think it's a it's kind of a late era Simpsons thing, so I hate to actually bring it up, but there's a thing about uh, Homer's writing a movie and like he, he, there's a dog that's evil, and they're like, well, how do you know it's evil? It's like, well, you look at his eyes, like you know he's evil. <laughs> it's like one of those things where like. It's a little bit of the like cliche of like the evil animal that like, you know, they zoom in on the eyes and he like looks around <laughs> suspiciously. It's like, okay. 
they don't do a lot of that in this movie. The dog is actually his movements at times are, are very kind of eerie, but the dog does not like look evil like at any point really <laughs> which which no i mean and that's what's so scary about the thing is that whatever form that it takes it behaves like that organism yeah so that's actually a good point to bring up uh as we kind of get near the end of the week here one of the things that always kind of has fascinated me about the movie is how many different interpretations there are about how the thing actually works and you know what happens so you know one of the things i always wonder about is do you think that when these characters are being absorbed by the thing, are they aware that they're the thing? Yeah, that's a really interesting question and something that I've struggled with uh, myself. Yeah, because they, they could either be an alien that, uh, you know, just acts like acts exactly like the person would act or or it's like they're a host. Right. Like a they're a person that's been infected and it are, you know, without themselves even knowing it. Both. Uh, actually yeah um, the movie's obviously purposely vague about it but it's a, you know it's an interesting thing to kind of think about right and that's one of the more compelling things about the movie and you know uh there's invasion of the body snatchers where people are literally kind of they kind of at least from my memory of the 70s version and i, I like all the versions of that um i didn't see the most recent one but uh it seemed like basically uh they were replaced by aliens but in this it's it's a lot more vague. And, and for me personally, I think it's a little bit of, of both uh, versions. Uh, I think that the thing can absorb people entirely and just imitate them. And the, and whatever you see that looks like a human or a dog is just the thing disguised. But I think it also can get inside a person and slowly absorb them from the inside out. Uh, and I think that's kind of what happened to Norris because he appears in the movie to be kind of ill and that he's having stomach pains mm -hmm. and then who goes there there is a little bit of that i forget which character it is but um they talk about how the thing every every part of the thing is a living whole uh and can continue growing and infecting so i think in some cases characters in this movie have already been absorbed and what you see that looks like them is just completely the thing but in other cases uh, the thing is working on them as we see them, and they um, maybe they have a feeling that something's wrong, but then eventually it's just too late, like they're just consumed. So it's a bit of you know host parasite and also imitator for me. Yeah, I, I tend to think of it as kind of somewhere in the, in the middle too. I, right. I, or either that, or I just can't make up my mind. I guess, but yeah, I, I almost I, I kind of like the idea too that I guess as a third option that it's almost like that. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but that that fungus parasite that uh, that takes over ants' brains. Oh then, yes, um, that's a great example. So it's that's it's it's a thing where analogy. it's like the people are maybe still themselves, but subconsciously they're trying to do something. Like in the case of this movie, you know, trying to escape so that they can infect other people, or um, or trying to get people alone so they can infect them, and maybe they don't even know that they're doing it. So yeah, the stuff with Norris is definitely probably the biggest kind of evidence for the fact that you can be infected with it and not be either either not be completely taken over or not know that you're taken over because which in itself is quite scary i think because it's i mean there's already the trust factor in that you know nobody knows who's the thing but some people might not be sure uh 
if if they are even themselves like you can't even trust yourself because maybe a little piece of the thing has gotten in you and you are slowly changing and you don't know it yet yeah both versions are incredibly frightening so um you know it kind of it almost doesn't matter because they're you know it's whatever you feel is kind of the scariest is maybe the one you kind of take on while you're watching but yeah it's definitely interesting I, i like i like that the movie keeps it vague and doesn't explain it to death so uh, this would be probably a good point to to mention. Um, this is kind of a, a minute that doesn't have a ton going on. Just some other kind of general stuff about the movie or, or John Carpenter. What would you What would you say are your favorite and least favorite John Carpenter movies? That's a, a hard question, and yeah. I think it's always changing. Um, I like almost all his movies, even some of the lesser ones, like. Uh, his remake of Village of the Damned is certainly not one of his best movies, but I think is a watchable film, and there's things about it I like. And there's only a few of his movies I haven't seen. Notably, uh, I still haven't seen Ghosts uh, of Mars or uh, Memoirs of an Invisible Man. And I, I haven't watched Elvis, but that's something I'm going to rectify very soon, and I've heard good things about that. But my particular favorites... Right now, um, I would say probably The Thing, uh, Prince of Darkness, which I think is a very underrated and compelling movie. Uh, Big Trouble in Little China, Escape from New York, uh, They Live. You see, I just start saying all of them eventually. <laughs> it's very difficult, but I, I like most of his movies a lot. But those are the ones I think of more immediately. And I appreciate about him that he can make a really great horror film, but he also can make a good action movie. Uh, You know, and he has a lot of Western elements in his films. And he was one of the first like quote unquote genre directors that I became interested in that I was also interested in his movies that weren't horror. And it kind of opened the doors to me to just appreciating movies as a whole and not just one genre. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's kind of the beauty of his, his filmography for sure. You know, he's often called, a, a obviously he's noted as like a horror director. I think his Twitter handle is like the, the master of horror or something like yeah. that. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, he's, he's done all kinds of different movies that, that do not have any horror elements at all in them. Um, but a lot of his movies do kind of blend different kind of uh, elements and genres and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think my list is is probably pretty similar to yours. The Thing is definitely my favorite, but Prince of Darkness is very close behind. I- yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for that movie to finally get its due because it's still one of his films where – People have gotten a lot kinder to it over the years, but there's there's still uh, you know a group of people that are like, well, it's not that great. It's kind of half baked. But I think you know of just his horror films, uh, I think it's uh, the second most interesting to me in concept and execution uh, behind the thing. And there's there's really a lot there. And he also wrote that film under a pseudonym. So yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's that's a it's a really really interesting film. I think it's. To me, it's my, maybe his scariest movie, and, and visually, it's really, really interesting. There's some really cool stuff going on. And he made it on leftover money too. That's the thing that really wows me. Really, Le- leftover money from what? Uh, I think it was. Um, I'm trying to place all of his movies in order, but he had made a sum of money from something previously, and he just kind of split up the earnings to make some other films um, because he felt like making movies, not necessarily because he was like, well, I got to put out another film. The studio is asking me. And and Prince of Darkness was almost just like 
him saying, well, I kind of want to make a movie and I got this idea and he just had this money and he just made it. It wasn't really about studio demand or um, worrying about, you know, earning more money or anything like that. Um, there were a few movies like that. Uh, I think They Live was a, another one that was kind of just made on leftover money that he had. Uh, it might have been Christine. Uh, that was the successful film, which he earned a lot of money from. And that makes sense because, you know, Stephen King yeah. is huge now, but was especially huge then. And so that movie did pretty well at the box office, from my understanding. Yeah, yeah, it, it would be either that or um, I guess Starman would have been right around that time. That's too. true, too. That also did pretty well. Um, it's interesting seeing what movies of his were successful when they came out and which ones weren't. <laughs> yeah, because they, they've definitely flip flopped now. Um, yeah, I mean, Christine, I, th- I think was pretty successful, but now it's not one that people really, even though I, I do, I agree with you. I think it's a really yeah, good movie. I, it's great, but people don't talk about it as much. And I mean, as you know, as someone interested in film, I love Christine, uh, but it, there's a lot less to talk about, I think, than there is in something like the thing or Prince of Darkness. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I, I would agree. I think those are, those are definitely the kind of the top tier Carpenter movies for me as well. Um, and we, we were talking in between, uh, in between episodes here about the, uh, the prequel that came out in 2011 and, um, you are, uh, a stronger man than I, because somehow you have not seen it. Right. Right. And, uh, <laughs> but my opinion of it has changed a little when it came out, I was like, I don't want to see this. Like, it's just piggybacking on the success for the other thing. And I, you know, I don't have any ill will toward the filmmakers, but it doesn't seem like there's a point. And, you know, the thing itself already is a remake of the thing from another world in some sense anyway. But then I found out that initially they wanted to use practical effects and did use practical effects in the thing remake, but the studio stepped in and said, no, you know, we don't like this. This isn't the direction we want to go. So they like, did a, a CGI overlay over top of the practical oh, effects. Wow. And uh, it really upset the people that made that movie. And they're still kind of campaigning to release the original cut of the film, which features the practical effects. Uh, and there have been a couple like uh, Kickstarters or something of that nature for that. And they made another movie um, after that that was basically just the thing on a boat, which utilized practical effects. And the the sole purpose of the movie was like, this is what it could have been. If you like this, you should help us get our version of the thing out as we intended it. So I have kind of reevaluated how I view it. And I, you know, I hear that it's it's a prequel, but it also sort of has the same beats as John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah. So I don't think the story is necessarily going to interest me that much, but there's a little more integrity behind it than I imagined the first time I heard about it. So I have become a little more interested in it. And I, I doubt, you know, very much that I'm going to ever see it and think, wow, this is better. But at least now I realize it is a more interesting film than it was initially given credit. Yeah, that's really interesting. I did not know that. Um, it was a movie that I was fairly excited for when it came out just for i i guess the fact that john carpenter's the thing is a remake i i thought i should give a chance to the other this other kind of remake that's um, true i didn't really look uh, think to look at that perspective but it, it kind of makes sense um i guess it was that and and also just the idea that this was not not just a remake but telling the story that leads up to it is is one of the great kind of mysteries in the original movie what uh you know what happened at the norwegian camp so obviously some things are better left to the imagination but I just rewatched it for the first time since I saw it in theaters um, just a couple of days ago. And yeah, the 
the effects are not the main problem with it. I think there's there's a lot of logic issues with the story, and and it definitely um, makes a lot of mistakes, and that the that the original does not in terms of you know making you care about the characters and differentiating the characters enough that that it really matters what happens to them. But that definitely the really bad CGI effects that I imagine probably look a lot like uh, that PlayStation Two video game. Um, <laughs> definitely were like the nail in the coffin for the movie. It's it's pretty unanimously disliked by um, right. by fans of the original. And I I probably would feel a bunch the same about the script if I were to see it. And I I, I might see it someday, but I really hope that it you know it comes out in the way that it was intended but to me it's become one of those things i call an interesting failure where there are certain movies that um and especially some movies that i have seen that i don't think quite meet the bar um that even if uh there's things about it a lot of things that don't work there's just enough for me to be like hmm, this is kind of interesting i mean i know a lot of people personally love event horizon but for me that's a movie that doesn't really succeed in what it wants to do but there's enough interesting stuff going on in the movie and interesting stories about the making of the movie that I revisit a lot. So maybe the thing prequel will be one of those kind of movies for me, if not actually um, a good movie overall. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting that you bring up event horizon. Cause I, I feel pretty similar about it. It's, um, it's one of those movies that I, I really liked that when I saw it on TV the first time when I was young and then had since gone back to it and, and, just kind of thought it was really corny. And then, um, you know, it's, it's one of those movies that I, I kind of go back and forth on. Cause I really like, um, what it's kind of based on. And, and, uh, Solaris is one of my all time favorite movies too, the original Russian uh, movie, but obviously event horizon takes a very different approach. Right. But yeah, it's one of those movies that like could have been really, really good and, and been one of those horror movies that, uh, that is universally lauded, but now it's, it's, kind of a little divisive it's yeah, definitely it's, not it's made mediocre, by a great filmmaker <laughs> yeah it has its moments and i feel like that about a lot of horror films because you know as a as a genre there are some strong horror films but there's a lot more that are either simply just you know entertaining or they don't quite meet the mark but they still kind of keep me coming back somehow yeah agreed i mean as a horror fan you kind of gotta gotta uh take what you you know, dig out the, the bits that you really like because um, obviously it's a genre that is flooded with a lot of kind of ridiculous stuff um, for better or for worse in a lot of cases. <laughs> Agreed. So um, I think that probably covers us for, for minute four of the uh, helicopter flying around and um, looking out at this, uh, this mysterious dog. Uh, I guess we have to wait until tomorrow to figure out what's going on with this, this dog running through the snow. <laughs> yeah, anything else you wanted to uh, mention for this one? Just looking at this uh, frozen still of of the scenery does make me eager to uh, head into the next episode. So, yeah, some good good stuff in minute number five. So, um, I guess we'll uh, we'll wrap it up there, and um, we'll uh, we'll head into minute number five tomorrow for for our last day of the week with uh, with Zach. So, thank you for listening, and we'll be back tomorrow with another episode of the Thing Minute. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Thing Minute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. 
Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper signing out.